All right, good to be with you this morning. Am I on? Can you hear me? All right. So we traveled in 2022 in the States for about eight months. That was our second, the second furlough. We were here in 2016, I believe, during a snowstorm, probably. So nine months out of the year, you have snowstorms. It was probably a snowstorm here. Um, but we were here last year, and we bought that limo. We just bought it flat out for $7,000. We tried to sell it before we left, but we were in town for three or four weeks now. Our son's getting married, and so it's worked out for us to use it again. But I am selling it. I will leave it here after the service. If you want it, I will take $7,000 for it, and I will have a special. Let's do it $6,000. I'll take $6,000. We'll leave the keys with you, and we'll get a ride home. Um, but we're, we're only here for another week or so. In the States, our son's getting married on Friday in Indianapolis, and um, then we're headed out next week. So if you don't know us, um, we survived Michael Shelton for a month. So you got to give us some credit here. We got, we got points there. Yes, so we are real missionaries. <laughs> um, we, have, um, my, we have about 74% of our children with us uh, here, and I have 100% of my wives with us here. <laughs> So this is my, my beautiful wife, Katie, is raising her hand right now, and we've been married 24 years. We're coming up on the big 2-5 this August 13th, and then we have uh, 10 of our kids with us, Noah, Vito, Dom, Rafa, Della, Sophie, Sonny, Mikey, Nino, who's named after my two great-grandfathers. They were both Donato, we call him Nino, and Enzo. I don't see him, but he's over there somewhere. Um, and then we have four boys or three boys in the states. Santino, Rocco is getting married, and Gianni is out in Indiana. So um, we're here just for a few weeks. We've been in Bulgaria since 2003, and um, years and years ago I met Pastor Legault. Um, well, actually, we probably didn't meet. It was a basketball game or something. I think one of his sons may have been playing in a basketball game. I do remember some sort of something happening at the basketball game that we talked about later. Um, but it's been 20 years since um, we've seen each other, and it's just it's it's good to be it's good to see people that just stay with it till the end. Um, you know, so many times we we get together, we talk about people that what happened to this guy, what happened to this missionary, what happened to this pastor, what happened to this family that was in church, and how uh, they got tripped up, how they got shot down, how the world got them, or whatever. Um, but seldom, or it seems like less seldom, we talk about those people that just stick with it to the end. And your pastor, Pastor Legault, is an encouragement to us, um, just sticking with it all these years. And uh, we hope we can be the same to you people. And um, excited about your church and Pastor Kinney taking over. And um, just, it's just great to be back in America um, where there's, uh, I mean, churches. We passed several churches on the way here this morning. Um, but um, it's about Jesus. That's who it's about. And don't take for granted the. The, the liberty we have in America. We've had it for 240 years or something like that. 240, is it seven years, 248 years? We did not have religious liberty before 1781 or whenever our Constitution went into effect. Uh, we were still persecuted during that time, the 1600s. Um, but God gave us this liberty. We will not always have this liberty. And we need to take advantage of it while we have it and not take it for granted. And I am just swimming in it this morning. I just love being in church. And I, I understand we've had people come in over the years, missions conferences or special day. I'll have a preacher in from the States. And I know how it is. Like, 
you want, I want everybody to be there. I, I'm hoping there's visitors. I'm hoping we're full and like everybody's gone that day. But you do, you do not have to worry about it. I have not preached to a crowd this big in Bulgaria in a long, long time. Um, we've always averaged between um, maybe 15 and 25 people uh, for the entire 17 years we've had our church. I think we had a high day one time of 68. Um, so, I mean, it doesn't matter if there's... We've had services with three people there. So I'm just... The, it's about the Lord. He's always good. You don't have to have a full crowd, to, full auditorium for the Lord to be good. So we're, we are happy to be with you, excited to be with you. And I do want to thank you guys for your faithful support over the last 20 years, or over 20 years. Um, while we don't see each other much, I see the report every month, and I know you guys are praying for us. I had uh, Brother Wall, I, I don't see really well anymore, prays for me every morning. He told me, that this, told me that this morning. So I know there's people that are praying for us, and we appreciate that. We know you're back here doing the, doing the work, same work that we're trying to do over there. Get out the gospel of Jesus Christ to every creature. That's what Christians do. So glad to be with you. I do want to introduce, we have a, a wonderful Bulgarian couple with us, Plamen and Maria. Um, I, I can count on one hand the number of Bulgarian families that I would consider real Christians after 20 years. Now, we are not good missionaries. You can ask Michael. We're just, we're, we have failed as missionaries so far. I'm hoping that something changes when we go back. But I can count on one hand. I'm not talking about just in our church. I'm talking about anywhere in the country. And this is one of them. This is one of the most humble couples you'll ever meet. They're real Christians. And they flew in last week on their own dime. I mean, they paid for the tickets to come to our son's wedding um, there in Indianapolis, and they'll be flying out on Saturday. So uh, we love them dearly and glad that they're with us. They're traveling with us in the limo. Anybody else who wants to travel in the limo, we have room for about eight more people, so um, you're welcome to come. 2 Samuel chapter 16. Let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 16. We flew in together on, I guess we got in on the 13th or 14th of November. And we were, be able to, we were able to be with all of our children except for one on Thanksgiving, which was nice. Um, but we were flying out in, on two separate flights. They canceled the flight that all, you know, well, so 11 of us were on. And I had booked our tickets, five with me and four with Katie, when I booked them, because she only could book eight at a time online. So this I've done it for years. Book Two bookings, I'll have two different computers, like a laptop and a computer, and put in all the information, and then press enter at the same time so we get on the same flight with the same good price. And that's what we did. So we were on the same flight coming, but they canceled the flight back and put us on two separate flights. When they re-gave us flights, they put us on two separate <laughs> days. So I am traveling with the five older children, and my wife's traveling with the four younger children on the next day. So uh, that should be interesting. Second <laughs> Samuel chapter 16. I'm going to read a few verses. Uh, actually, let's have a word of prayer first, and then I'll read a few verses out of this chapter. We're going to look at this chapter. Father, we thank you for this day. We know that this is the day that you've made, and we should rejoice and be glad in it. And we thank you for the opportunity to take one day, many of us, uh, don't have to work on this day. We have this day off where we can come and gather around your word. We can be with brothers and sisters. We can sing hymns and praises to you, Father. 
We thank you for your word that guides us. In black and white, we have your mind for us. We thank you for that. We thank you for salvation, Jesus. We thank you for your blood that washes away our sins. We thank you for the security we have in salvation, that we can rest in your arms. We thank you for your will for each one of us, that you are a personal God, and that you want contact with each one of us and want to walk with each one of us. We thank you for that. We thank you for this time that we, has been set aside, and we pray that your Holy Ghost would have uh, free reign in our hearts, that your word would go into us and change us and give us light in order to see things how you see them. Father, I pray that you'd give me words to speak and help me not to say anything that would be against you or against your word. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name and for the glory of the Father. Amen. 2 Samuel chapter 16. Um, let's, let's read some verses. And I'm thinking of Michael being over there with us and some stories are popping in my head like a guy pulling out an 8-inch knife and stuff like that. But maybe we'll get to some of that stuff later on. Second Samuel, not because of Michael, not because of Michael, I know you think it's because Michael was with us that he pulled the knife out. It wasn't because of that. Second Samuel 16, let's start in verse number 5. And when King David came to Bahurim, behold, thence came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. He came forth and cursed still as he came. And he cast stones at David and at all the servants of King David, and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And thus said Shimei, when he cursed, Come out, come out, thou bloody man, and thou man of Belial. So, <clears throat> you know this story. This is when Absalom was rebelling against David. And so David's coming back. He's got his entourage with him. And here out comes this, this Shimei. Now, the one thing we notice about Shimei here is he was from the tribe of Benjamin. So, Saul was like was one of his guys. Now the Israelites were obviously in the in twelve tribes or eleven tribes, two half tribes, but they there was some um, tribal pride, let's say, that the first king of Israel was from Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin. You know, Saul was chosen. Shimei is a relative of Saul. The kingdom has been given to David because of Saul's disobedience with the Amalekites and some other issues that he had. And so David has been king for many years, and obviously this has been a burr under the saddle of Shimei for all these years. And so Shimei feels here, I think, some righteous indignation. But as we read this story, we know that he's wrong. But how many times do we have, we're like, we look at somebody where something's maybe happening in their life, like it's happening in the life of David here, and Shimei is thinking to himself, He's not the bad guy here. This, Shimei doesn't think he's the bad guy. He's like, David is finally getting his. David stole the kingdom from, from Saul, and now he's finally getting his. This is just God, you know, getting even with David. This is, I mean, this is what's going through Shimei's head, obviously. And so he comes out feeling that he's on God's side. He's like, look at thou bloody man. This is exactly what happens when you go against God and God's will. And like in his mind, he's on God's side. And let, let me just give us a word of caution. Just because we're adamant about something doesn't mean we're on God's side. Just because we think we are right or, or we look at somebody, don't make judgment calls about why God is doing something in somebody's life because you don't know. And this Shimei is looking at David. He's like, I knew it. I, knew, I was right all these years, these, these 35 or 40 years. I was right. David was wrong. 
but obviously Shimei was not in the right. Let's continue reading. Verse 7, he calls David a bloody man, a man of Belial. Now the Bible describes David differently, <laughs> describes David as a, as a man after God's own heart, not meaning that David was like God because David was not like God, but his heart was after God. I mean, like after, like literally the preposition after. David was after God. He was a man after God's own heart. And that can be said about any one of us. You don't have to be the sweet psalmist of Israel sitting in a field to be after the heart of God. You don't have to be a missionary in China to be after the heart of God. Every single person in this room, you don't have to be a man, you don't have to be old, you don't have to be, you know, uh, you don't have to be an adult, you could be a child, but you could be after the heart of God, wanting the heart of God. And that's who David was. He was not a man of Belial. So Shimei obviously was wrong there. And so he's falsely accusing him. Look at verse 8. Uh, Shimei continues his speech. The Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose stead thou hast reigned. And the Lord hath delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom thy son. And behold, thou art taken in thy mischief, because thou art a bloody man. Just, that's just totally not true. David knows it's not true. Verse number 9. Then said Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, unto the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head. Now this is the kind of bodyguard that I want. You know, let, okay, let me just go take off this guy's head. I can just picture these sons of Zeruiah. They're probably like six foot six, you know, bald and bulking guys. Let me just go take off this guy's head. And I want to I look at David's reaction. And the king said, what have I to do with you, ye sons of Zeruiah? So let him curse, because the Lord has said unto him, curse David. Who shall then say, wherefore hast thou done so? And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my son, which came forth of my bowels, seeketh my life. How much more now may this Benjamite do it? Let him alone, and let him curse, for the Lord hath bidden him. Now, David's reaction to Shimei is not one of vengeance. It's one of let him curse. He, he said, my own son is trying to kill me. Just let this guy go. My, my own son's trying to kill me. You know, I don't know what God's doing. In other words, David said, I don't know why things are going on, but I know that God knows what's going on. The, our, our, um, our human flesh, our human nature is a nature of vengeance. It's an eye for an eye nature. Tooth for a tooth nature. Somebody cuts us off, we got to cut them off. Somebody yells at us, we yell back. I have, you know, I have seven... Brothers and sisters that are all younger than me. I know the arguing game. I've taught my children well. If somebody says something to you, somebody does something to you, you get them back, you do this. You do, that's, that's in us. Um, I, I, one example of this, I, my family was saved out of Catholicism, so once in a while I do confess my, my sins, and this is one of them. I was driving in Bulgaria one time, and I had a, does anybody know what a LADA is? L-A-D-A. Anybody in the military in the Middle East? You'll, you'll know what a lot is because I think it's the most popular car in Afghanistan or something like that. But I had a 1985 Lada with like a, it had like seven hamsters running around in the, underneath the hood or something like that. It was a Russian-made piece of junk. Like top speed was like, you know, 40 miles an hour. And so anyway, I'm in town. And of course, there's two lanes. I'm right in town. And then there's a bus lane, which no cars are supposed to be in. But, you know, there's, there's a lot of laws in Bulgaria. You'll have to ask Michael about that. But 
they're all suggested, you know, they're suggestions. They're, and so I'm driving, you know, as I should be, in the, in the correct lane, and there's a guy coming up the, the bus lane. And I'm just, he's in a Mercedes, he's flying up the bus lane, so he's going to, you know, pass up all the traffic. And he comes up next to me, and he's going to cut in front of me on the right, and right before he does, a car in front of him stops. And so if I slam on my brakes, he can get in, but, you know, I'm from New York. We don't touch our brakes, right? So it's gas all the time. So I didn't let him in. And uh, went a little farther. He came around that car, and he comes zooming up again. I saw him in the mirror. And sure enough, another car stopped, and he couldn't pass me again. So then I see him come around in my rearview mirror, come around to my, the left side of the car. And being a very, you know, social person and, you know, just somebody that likes to interact with people, I rolled down my window because I thought he might want to say something when he went by. And sure enough, they pull up as two guys in their 40s, just, this was probably 15 years ago, but they're yelling and, you know, just angry, and I probably didn't help things because I said something like, you know, you drive like my sister or something like that. I probably shouldn't have egged them on. But this guy takes an apple, an apple, and whips the apple out the window to hit me. Well, I kind of swerved, and he missed me. So we're, you know, we're in town. I caught back up to him, like, and then I added fuel to the fire. I'm like, you throw like my sister, too. If you couldn't hit the broad side of a barn, that didn't help things. They pulled, I mean, they were mad. He pulled another apple, whipped it over there, and he hit the window. Half the apple flew in, half the apple flew out. And then when there was a red light, and I had a Bulgarian teenager. I was like, hand me that apple. And I, I just returned him his apple. That was the wrong thing to do. I, I just threw his apple back at him. But that's human nature, isn't it? Isn't that who we are? We look at somebody that we think should fall, and when they fall, we're like, yep, he got his. I knew, I knew that would happen. Isn't, isn't that who we are? Isn't that what Hollywood's all about? I mean, look at their movies. It's all about vengeance and getting back, and it's all about the good guy. I mean, all the way back from, you know, you spiritual people that used to watch John Wayne. I can't stand John Wayne, but you used to, you know, uh, he's the good guy riding in, and I did, I did like the Magnificent Seven back in the day with the old Brenner, but, you know, riding in, the good guys riding in, taking out the bad guys. We, that's just who we are. It's human nature. That's why Hollywood does so well. It speaks to our human nature, and we love to see the bad guy, you know, pounded in the face, put down. Good guys always win. Hollywood's a lie. On this earth, the evil always wins. They killed Jesus. Until Jesus comes back, good is not going to win. And that's the lie we're told over. The good always comes out. No, it doesn't. Good always loses. Read your history about our fathers and forefathers in the faith. Well, the Lord protect me. I believe, look, the Lord protects us. He takes care of us. But that is not our legacy as Christians. They killed our fathers and our forefathers, and they've killed us throughout the ages. We don't win on this earth until Jesus comes back. Someday we'll win, but evil always wins on this earth. And Jesus is coming someday, and he's going to make things right. But right now, we live in this flesh, and our flesh just likes vengeance. It likes to get back. Sometimes you don't know why God's doing what he's doing. And David's reaction here teaches me that while I don't know why God is doing what he's doing in my life, I just need to know that God knows why he's doing what he's doing in my life. I, I don't know. So, I, so when we first moved to Bulgaria, I didn't know, you know. I thought I knew why God was putting us in Bulgaria. Because I thought, you know, Bulgarians, they just don't have the truth. And if I get the truth to them, then they'll get saved and 
this is my job. This is what I foresaw. That the reason that God wanted me in Bulgaria. I went to Bulgaria, and things didn't turn out the way I thought they were going to turn out. And, you know, I, I felt like we were beating our head against the wall sometimes, and we'd, we'd have a, you know, I'd have the boys. Our first seven children are all boys, so they did a lot of the work with me just getting out flyers, and we pounded our city of Barna. It's about a half a million people. <clears throat> we pounded it with 800,000, 900,000 tracks in the first five years. I mean, like every house, we're out on every Saturday. We'd have a big day. We'd have this program, that program, trying to get people to come in. Uh, we'd, we'd do 70,000 mailboxes. We'd do that in two weeks, and we'd have like three people show up, show up. Like one just got out of jail. One is coming in, you know, trying to convince me that I need to be speaking in tongues and that I don't have the Holy Ghost, and somebody's like a child molester. I was like, what? I'm like, what am I doing here? And I had, to, I had to come to a point where I didn't understand what God was doing, but I trusted that God knew what he was doing. And that's where we all have to come. That's where we all have to come in our life. Look, at David, David here is in the right. David here is doing, he, he took the kingdom because God put it in his hands. And he's being falsely accused by somebody, but he still steps back and he leaves it in God's hands. He goes, well, God knows. Just let him curse. What if we could have that attitude? What, what if we as Christians could just say, okay, you know, that person was lying about me. That person, uh, I know you, this church has no conflicts between anybody in this church, but most churches, you, you know, the people kind of click up or this person said something about this or this person said something about my kid or this person disciplined my kid and I didn't give them permission or this person, did, you know, didn't give my kid enough treats in the nursery or that person took my seat or whatever it is. Wouldn't it be nice if we were Christians and just like, well, just let him curse because I don't know why God had that person do that, but it must be in God's will. Wow. That's, that's what faith is. That's what Christianity is, by the way. Christianity's not marking off a list. Well, I was at church today, so I'm a Christian. I carried my, my Bible into church, so I'm a Christian. I wore a tie. I mean, I, that's what I love being in Bulgaria because we don't wear ties. They don't even wear ties at weddings. Like, our politicians don't wear ties. But, oh, I, I, you know, I dressed up for church. Well, I'm, I'm not against dressing up for church, obviously. But th those things do not make us a Christian. The attitude, our heart attitudes are what make us a Christian. Our walk with the one and our trust in the one that is guiding us, that's what makes us Christians. And David said, just let him go. I don't know why it's happening, but just let him go. There's one more verse here if you're still open to it. It's 2 Samuel 16, verse 12. David says, it may be that the Lord will look on mine affliction and that the Lord will requite me good for his cursing this day. That's an interesting verse because he know, he know David knew that God was, is the justifier and was the justifier and is the justifier. That God is the one that's going to make things right. He sees everything. And he said, it may be, hey, this guy's cursing me and that because that guy's cursing me, Shimei, that God will see my affliction and he'll take care of me. We, uh, when we moved to Bulgaria, obviously we were thinking, you know, everything. All of our thoughts were on Bulgaria, learning Bulgarian, uh, you know, reaching our, really, it wasn't even reaching our country, it was reaching our city, because we're in Varna, um, our capital, if, let me just take two minutes to tell you about Bulgaria. Do you know where Greece is, right? It's right in the Mediterranean. We are right above Greece. So I talk to people all the time, they're like, Bulgaria, where is that, in Siberia? No, we are, you know, we're right on the Mediterranean Sea. We're, we live right on the Black Sea, and the Black Sea is huge. I mean, you could put all the five great lakes in the Black Sea like ten times. I mean, it's huge. 
and we live, you can see it out of our window, and then right above us is Romania. So that's where we're located. We're on the, I don't know what, you're probably on the 42nd parallel, 43rd parallel here, that's where we're at. We live right on the same level as you guys. So we have four seasons, the whole nine yards. And um, about when we moved there, there was 8 million people or so, the population. And now in 2017 or 2018, we fell under 7 million people. And so, you know, we're in that country. And, of course, we're, in 2003, we're thinking, Bulgaria, I need to learn Bulgarian. It's a Slavic language. So, zvuči malko slavski, taka zvuči malko kato ruski zvuči. And, but we didn't know anything about the language. It's Cyrillic language. And so, like, I had in my head what we're going to do. We need to learn the language. We need to start a church. We need to train guys. We need to start other churches. We're going to win this country to the Lord. And, you know, I have maps of Bulgaria and this. And, you know, this was, like, driving me. I knew God had called me, just like David knew that God had given him the kingdom. But what God wanted to do with me was something different than what I thought that God wanted to do with me. I thought that we were the answer for Bulgaria, and then I realized at some point we understood that God put us in Bulgaria because he was working on us. God doesn't need any of us. Like, like uh, I talk, I, I'm at some churches. It's, uh, some churches, they, they think that like, without them, things wouldn't get done. I don't know what God you're serving. He doesn't need any of us. Like, he can use a donkey to get done what he needs to get done. I mean, he doesn't need us. He doesn't need our money. Well, we need to get... The reason we're not reaching the world is because we don't have enough money. Wrong. I've, heard, I've had pastors tell me that. Wrong. No, the reason we're not getting the gospel to everybody is because, because Christians won't yield themselves and trust God to go and get the gospel to people. That's why we're not reaching people. It's not because there's a lack of money. I mean, by reading prayer letters, now I'm going to get on missionaries because I am one. By reading prayer letters, you'd think that we're not reaching the world because there's not enough money. Like, we, we need money for this. You know, send money. If we get this building, we'll be able to reach people. If we build this, if we have this roof put on our building, we'll be able to reach people. If we have benches for the people in Africa. The people in Africa don't sit on benches. You could buy them padded pews, and they're going to pick up a rock and sit on a rock. Because that's what they do. But we think we, everybody's got to be like an American, or we're not going to reach the world. God doesn't need our talent. He's just looking for our trust. That's what God wants. He wants our trust. Okay, God, I don't understand why this is going on. I don't understand why you have me here. I don't understand what you're doing in my life. I don't understand why you took my spouse. I don't understand why you took my child. I don't understand why my, my, my father has cancer or why my brother was killed in a car accident. I don't understand why my husband left me. I don't understand why this happened. But I trust you. I trust you. That's what God's looking for. And so I came to a point, I was like, okay, I don't know why you have us here in Bulgaria, God, but you know what you're doing. We trust you. You know, God has he's done so many things. I, I got a thousand stories, but probably the biggest one, I don't know if maybe 2016 I may have told this story, but, you know, we were thinking Bulgaria, 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 and all of a sudden I, I got an email from a Turkish guy in Pennsylvania. I mean, he walks into a church in Pennsylvania. I didn't see, I didn't go out there and look yet, but a lot of churches have the, like, prayer letters on the wall of the missionaries. Well, this guy walked into a church in Pennsylvania wrote down my email address, and emailed me over there in Bulgaria, and he said, can you tell me about Christianism, he said. Now, we moved to Bulgaria before the explosion of Muslims in America. I, I, we, you know, you see him now a lot of different places. Saw a Palestinian flag the other day, which doesn't exist, the Palestinian flag, but they had something up there that said Palestine. Maybe you better cut this off. I don't need to be people chasing me down. No, but there was a, a 
Palestinian flag. You know, you, there was none of that 20 years ago. They were just starting to build mosques, I think, in the States 20 years ago. And, well, this guy wrote me. I hadn't dealt with Muslims up to that point. Never really witnessed to a Muslim. Now, in Bulgaria, we have 10 or 12% of our population is Muslim. And he wrote me and said, can you tell me about Christianity? Well, that's Christianism, he called it. That same week in Bulgaria, I received a book called Winning Muslims to Christ from a pastor I never met, didn't know the church, didn't know the pastor, didn't know the author, just shows up in my mail. And we kind of wrote back and forth. I corresponded with this Muslim. His name was Ertegrul. He's Turkish for a couple of months. And then on November 11, 2005, he wrote back. He said, last night I trusted Christ as my Savior. Can you please come to Turkey and get me a Turkish Bible? And can you tell my friends and my relatives what you told me about Jesus? Like, can you come witness? He didn't say witness, but can you come witness to my relatives in Turkey? I'm like, you know, this is, after banging my head against the wall in Bulgaria, I'm like, this is what I signed up for, right? When I'm thinking, the Lord's calling me to the mission field, this is what I'm thinking. Like, people are going to want the truth. And so, 2005, December 2005, we went down to Istanbul. I took a bus from Varna. We're about, about a six-hour drive from Istanbul. And I took a bus down, and I, I had the author of that book, Winning Muslims to Christ, he flew over. I flew him down from Germany. He was in Germany at that time. And he had baptized over 1,000 Iranian Muslims up in Germany up to that point. And so he flew down, and this guy from Pennsylvania flies over to Istanbul to meet us so we can witness to his family. And in four or five days, the Lord changed my worldview. Now, I guarantee you there's some people in this room, and, I've, and I still run into Christians all the time, that have been brainwashed by our media, and they tell us what the Muslims are thinking and vice versa. And look, there's extremists everywhere. There's extremists of every type of religion in the world. And there may be some that are more dangerous, but there's... there's atheists out there who will kill you. I mean, it's, you don't have to be you don't have to be of a certain religion. We've been taught that this, this religion wants to kill us all. And if you go maybe to the, the most fundamental fundamental of them, they understand what the Quran says that they're supposed to you know, kill the Jews and the infidels. They understand that. But 90, more than 90% of Muslims are like Catholics in New York or Mexico or wherever who have also been brainwashed about them, and they've been brainwashed about us. They think we're coming from America. As, they think we're born Christians, like they're born Muslim. And so I don't know if you, deal, if you deal with Muslims, but the first thing I do when I approach a Muslim is I'll say, first of all, I read the Koran. And I come, I come at them with, I'm searching for the truth. Like every, they, won't, they won't deny the fact they're searching for the truth. You meet a lot of Christians. They're not interested in the truth. Christians, Catholics or whatever, they're interested in this is who I am. Like, I am a Presbyterian because I was born a Presbyterian and, you know, my grandparents were Presbyterian. The Muslims, when you talk to, to a Muslim, they will, they'll say, yeah, we're, we, they think it's the truth and, we're, yeah, we're looking for the truth. And I always say, well, I'm looking for the truth too. I've read the Bible and I've read the Quran because I'm searching for the truth. I guarantee you they haven't read the Bible. And automatically you have a hand up in the conversation because you've read their holy book. And they'll listen to you. You come at it, you come at it from that, that way, it'll open up a door I've witnessed to more Turkish Muslims in our 20 years in Bulgaria than I have to Bulgarians. We live in Bulgaria. Because the Bulgarians are brainwashed by the Orthodox Church. They are not interested in the truth. They're interested in, in Orthodox religion, and everybody else is a cult. And so they, 
the, the, I mean, that's, that's opened the door so many times for us. Just look at, I'm looking for the truth. Well, this guy came to Turkey four or five days. We, we witnessed to tw 20 different people groups, guy in the street, his relatives, his, you know, his, his uh, you know, school year friends that he, we went to their house. I mean, his cousins, 20 different times we met with people to give him the gospel. People he knew, people he didn't know. And every single time we got to talk to people. I don't know if you go out here, you know, in, in a park or I don't know where you do your witnessing or whatever. But I think a lot of times when I was here 20 years ago, it started to get cold in America, depending on where you were. You know, go to Tennessee. We were just in Tennessee in 2022 and we talked to people at their doors. But there's a lot of places where it was getting cold already, cold already in 20, 2003. And here we are in Turkey and just everywhere we go, we're, we're witnessing, we're, we're telling them, yeah, we're Christians. And they'll, they'll listen to us, and we talked. We didn't have people getting saved by the hundreds, but we were able to plant seeds. And all that to say, I didn't know why God put us in Bulgaria. I had my understanding of what I thought he was doing, but God had something different. And he opened that door to Turkey. And for 10 years, we traveled back and forth down into Turkey from 2005 to 2015. Took 60 or 70 trips down there. And now there are, there are American families down there that move there permanently, trying to start a work in Turkey for, for the glory of the gospel. Now, the, what God does in your life, you may not understand why he's doing it when it's going on. Our job is to just say, okay, I don't understand why you're doing this, but I know that you know why you're doing what you're doing. And David did that here, and God's done that in our life so much. I need to finish this up because I see the time. Take your Bibles and turn to Esther real quick. The book of Esther. And let's look at the end of our story. Esther, look at verse number, or chapter number 2. Let's see if I can find it here. Esther chapter 2. Verse number five. Now in Shushan the palace, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. Now I guarantee you that David could not see 550 years into the future that God was going to take a guy named Mordecai who was descended from a guy named Shimei, who was of the tribe of Benjamin from Kish, his family. I guarantee you David didn't say, well, I better not touch Shimei because God's going to do something in his life. Or... But David just trusted God. And 550 years later, from that line of Shimei, God used Mordecai to save the Jews. God would have saved the Jews either way, but he used the family of Shimei to save the Jews 550 years down the road. You don't know what is happening in your life, how that's going to affect your future or the future of your children or the future of somebody. God's will is too big for us to stand back and say, oh, this is, oh so this is why this happened. I mean, sometimes he gives us glimpses, right? But in the big scheme of things, we can't understand the mind of God. Our job is just to trust God. You, okay, God, I don't know why this is going on, but you know. I don't know why this happened in my life. I don't know why I was raised in this home. I don't know why, I don't know why my parents... Our divorce, I don't, I mean, there's a hundred things we could put in there. 
but God knows. If you kind of, if you read the story a little bit more too, actually look at just um, chapter 3 in verse 1. This is just a side note, a little interesting. After these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite. You don't see the Agagite mentioned too much, but if you remember, Saul was supposed to kill Agag and all of his seed. And he didn't. And I don't know, uh, uh, Samuel killed him the next day or something like that, but I don't know how much time expired. I don't know how this happened. But here we have, or Saul was lying and didn't kill all the Agagites. But because of Saul's disobedience, 550 years later we have Haman, the Agagite, trying to kill the Jews. All I'm saying is whether you obey God or you don't obey God, it's affecting something else too. And God's looking for our trust. Like we're, we're in Bulgaria, so... You know what, I grew up in, in church. Maybe I'll give a little more of my testimony in the next service, but we're Catholic. My parents got saved. We got into church. And I had this sort of in my head, like, you know, just growing up in church, that first, you know, if, you, if you're faithful in church, then you can help out in Sunday school and help in junior church or something, help on a bus. Or, and then if you, you know, get to that level, then maybe you can teach a Sunday school class of five- and six-year-olds or, you know, do something like that. And if you're, if you're a if you do that faithfully, then you can move up to become uh, a youth pastor or something like that. And then if you do that job well for so many years, then you can move up and become maybe an assistant pastor somewhere. Or, or, or if you do, and then if you do that, and a church is looking for a pastor, and you can move up to the next level and become a, a head pastor somewhere. And then if, it, if you do that faithfully, we'll just kind of skip evangelists. But you just do that faithfully, and then God will call you to be a, a, a missionary. It was like this line of, you know, this, like, hierarchy of Christianity. It's not, that's not the way it is. We're all the same. There are no good Christians. There are people that are more spiritual than other people. Some are more carnal, some are more, but there's no good Christians. If you think you're a good Christian, then your pastor's not doing his job, because you, all you got to do is open up this Bible and start looking through the pages. There's nobody that's good. I think that maybe I've said, God may have said that more than once in the Bible. There's nobody that's good, and God doesn't need us. It's, it's a privilege that God has put us in this place in Bulgaria to do, what, to do what he wants us to do, and we preach Jesus because Jesus is worthy to be preached. No matter where you are, he, he's worthy. We don't do what we do because the auditorium is going to be full. We don't preach what we preach because people are going to get saved. We preach what we preach because it's the truth, and that should motivate us, not... Well, am I, am I getting enough fruit from this? No. Preach Jesus wherever you are and just trust God. He knows. Whether you're in Mexico or Philippines, I've been in the Philippines. I mean, that, that's not even a mission field. I'm sorry, but you can't. I mean, that is just, go to the, if you've never been on a mission trip, go to the Philippines. It is just a blast. There's churches everywhere. The people are nice. There's people, there's missionaries starting churches, sending out nationals everywhere. But it doesn't matter if you're in the Philippines or in the hardest part of Albania or, you know, Czech Republic is atheist. It doesn't matter where you are. It's the same God, and he's looking for the same thing. Trust in him. Just trust him. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. That's what being a Christian's about. Is there something in your life you don't understand? Well, probably because God's trying to teach you faith. He knows. He knows. We don't have to know. We just need to know that he knows. Let's have a word of prayer. We'll finish. Father, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you for the truths and principles we see throughout its pages. We thank you for those, our fathers and forefathers, that fought the fight to, to give us the word and, and have it come to us. Help, us not, help, help the light not to stop with us. Help us to carry it on. Help us to pass it down to our children, but also to other people. And Father, may you use this principle that we read here in 2 Samuel. May we trust you. May we stop trying to avenge ourselves of every little thing that happens in our lives, of every little word that somebody says against us, every stab in the back. And Father, while they may hurt, God, we can still trust you. Vengeance is yours. You'll repay. You'll take care of it all. And that's why, God, I think you gave us David as an example of a man after your heart. Help each one of us to be a man or woman after your heart also. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.